lot of times having dinner with Pharisees, sometimes with his disciples, but all the time, Jesus is at the dinner table all throughout the Gospel of Luke. This is what makes what we're going to share later on today so important. So important because we find Jesus in our text today again at the dinner table, but not with friends. Not with friends. So some people ask me at, our, at the first service about, hey, I thought we were doing this, uh, this, this prayer circle, uh, circle maker book in September. And you're right. If you were thinking that too, you're right. We are. But we're going to start in two weeks because our small groups are also going to be doing it. And we need to get them study guides for those folks who have said all the small group leaders have said this is how many we need. So if you haven't told me you want one of those study guides, you need to do so. So let me know. Uh, you can let the charge office know or you can let John A. know or Vivian. And, and yeah, let, just get in touch with the charge office. probably the best thing. Call, leave a message, send an email, what have you, uh, and we can uh, get you one. All right? So today we're continuing in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And Jesus had dinner and on the Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. Right? He was being carefully watched. If you remember, this goes back to, to Luke chapter 11, where they said that they were, the Pharisees were looking for a way to trap Jesus. They were looking for a way to, to have him judged. Like he was speaking against the law. They wanted to, a way to arrest him, right? So that's what's happening here. Jesus, I don't know if you've ever walked into something that you knew, that you didn't know was, it was a trap, right? You ever walked into, like, somebody asked you a, a trap question, like, and, and it's a gotcha question. As soon as you answer, as soon as you hear it, you're like, ah, I know where this is going. Right? You ever experienced that? It's exactly what Jesus has done, except Jesus doesn't shy away from it. Jesus doesn't back off. He walks right into it. He knew what they were doing, and he did it anyway. Verse 2. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Abnormal swelling body. He had, a, he had a medical issue. Some different translations call it different things that, that he had going on. Uh, but regardless, that, that whether it was dropsy, as some texts refer to it as, or our translations may refer to it as, or something else, he had something going on in his body that, that made him unclean, actually. He was unclean. He shouldn't have been at the table with all these Pharisees. He was a problem. He was a setup. He was a Nothing more than a problem. Brought in to test and to try to trick Jesus. Jesus asked the Pharisees, because he knows what's going on. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And being remained, or they remain silent. So Jesus took hold of the man, healed him, and sent him on his way. Just a normal Sabbath. Then he asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox and it falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately? normal Sabbath, Jesus having, having uh, gathering with his friends, right? Pointing out an obvious contradiction in their thinking because they would have done exactly what Jesus accused them of. See, the rule for the Pharisees was that you couldn't heal on the Sabbath unless it was a life, life or death matter. You couldn't. You weren't supposed to. Because it may be considered work. And you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So they had this donkey in the ditch principle. Say that. That's fun to say. Donkey in the ditch. Come on, play along, y'all. Donkey in the ditch. Yeah, play along. Jesus likened this man, this man with this illness, right, 
digging the donkey in the ditch. That if the animal isn't pulled out, it's going to die. If saving the life of an animal is something worth breaking a sweat over, about going to work about, right, on a Sabbath, how much more should we care for a person? That's what Jesus is telling us. Bringing healing to a person from any condition that diminishes the quality of their life is not only permissible on the Sabbath, but it honors the Sabbath. In the direct way that God intended for the Sabbath to be a day of revival for his people. God intends it, that good would be done in his name and in his honor on the Sabbath day. As a way of setting that day apart from all the other ones for the purposes of God. See, the donkey in the ditch principle, it states that, that doing good on the Sabbath day honors God, honors his intentions for our lives. Un unfortunately, we oftentimes give what I'd like to say, call donkey-in-the-ditch excuses when it comes to honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy. You know, well, i, I got to take the child to soccer. The kid going to a soccer tournament is not a donkey-in-a-ditch experience. Neither is sleeping in. Sleeping in is not a donkey-in-the-ditch idea. Cleaning, organizing doing laundry, cutting the grass. Those are not donkey-in-the-ditch issues. The Sabbath day, according to God's word, is to be honored above all others. Romans 14, 5 and 6 says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so unto the Lord. I don't think the rest of it doesn't. If you set aside a day until the Lord, it's the Lord's day, right? I, we, Christians have never have, have chosen not to recognize Saturday as the Sabbath, but Sunday as the Sabbath because of the resurrection day, resurrection of Jesus on Sunday. That being said, a Christian person, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we're still asked to assemble together for worship. That should be the long, that should be the, the Spirit's drive in us should be to gather us together as the body of Christ. Practice regular Sabbath in our lives. A day of rest. A day where we should refrain from doing work. You and I should refrain from doing work. One day a week. So that we might completely focus our lives on God's attention for us. It's one reason why communal worship was created. It was, and the, the blue laws were back in the day. You know, It was a day that... that Nothing else happened, right? You couldn't, they made it really difficult to do anything else except gather for worship for that purpose. That to start one's week off with a Sabbath day of rest, with a day of prayer and praise, with, with biblical study, it, it was a way for us to prioritize God's direction for our lives. Just because we're supposed to rest on the Sabbath doesn't mean that we're to rest from doing good. John Wesley is quoted to have said that we should, I think I have it up here, do all the good we can, by all the means we can, and all the ways we can, and all the places we can, at all the time we can, to all the people we can, as long as we ever can. He probably said it and it had a little more of a rhyme to it, I'm not sure. But, but you get the point, right? That that's to be our lives. 
doing good in this way fulfills God's purpose, not only for the Sabbath, but for every other day. Doing good. And it's clear from Dr. Luke's writings that the church in Dr. Luke's day, when he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, that the Sabbath day was a point of conflict for the church and the world. That was their, that was their issue that they were really wrestling with. How do we, how do we be faithful? That's why, he, that's why he crouched all these stories. He pointed out all these stories. It happened on the Sabbath. Because he wanted to call people to remember that Jesus said, that Jesus said, that Jesus did all of this on the Sabbath. Jesus displayed again and again that rules were important. Absolutely, rules are important. But no more important and no less important than grace and compassion. Question for you, Are there places in your life where rules trump compassion and grace? Are there places in your life where, where it's just hard to, to show compassion? That it's much easier to say, oh no, they crossed the line. I'm betting there are areas in your life that are that way. In general, I'm wondering uh, which way you tend to go. Are you more of a, uh, if, if in doubt, err on the side of compassion? Or if in doubt, err on the side of rules. Do you tend to be more of a rule kind of person or a compassion kind of person? I think this is the source of a lot of conflict in the church today. It's our culture today. Rules rarely give life. Rules rarely give life. Other side of that coin is that permissiveness, unchecked, leads to rebellion. So you have these two realities, right? How do, you, how do you balance that? How do you be compassionate and yet recognize the rules? I say the answer is to hold tightly. Hold tightly to the things that matter, truly matter to God and loosely to everything else. Hold tightly to what matters and loosely to everything else. If things are, if things are against God's word, we should Hold them pretty loosely. If things are clear from God's, God's word, we should hold on to them pretty tightly. But even if we're holding them tightly, we should make sure that our grip is seasoned with compassion and grace. In our world today, in the United Methodist Church, we're going through, you know, if you're a guest here, just, I don't know, maybe get your earbuds on and listen to something else. Uh, but, but we in the United Methodist Church are kind of going through a season. We're going through it, you might say, as a denomination. And, and many of you have asked me, personally, where do I stand on this issue? And I've always been very uh, opaque, if that's the right word, right? Because I've recognized that, man, it's tough to be rules and, and compassion, and, and where do you balance the line? Like, what, what's the line? Because if you, you're always, if you're on the fence, you're, you're, you're never in, right? You're not anything if you're just on the fence. So I'll say this that we must be compassionate towards one another. Grace should be how we are known. But we must also hold to God's word as biblical authority. Yes, the Spirit of God teaches us and informs us, but the Spirit of God will never tell us something that's contrary to his word, because it's God's word. 
to put a, a finer point in this, when it comes to uh, human sexuality and kids want to change their gender, my heart breaks for these people. Adults who struggle with same-sex attraction, my heart breaks for people who struggle with that. And maybe they, you know, they would think I'm ridiculous for saying that they struggle, which they probably, you know, whatever. But in my mind, in the way I see it, it's a struggle. It's, it's, it's living opposed to the way God creates us, that, that it's, that it's, opposed to God's created design. And so whenever that happens, it, wherever in life, like I, well, I, I love ice cream, but I, I shouldn't love it that much. That's wrong. Right? There's a whole bunch of things that are wrong. But I'm not going to come down on anybody for the things that they do or, that are against God's will because man, I, I get it. I know what it's like. I know the real me. <laughs> I need compassion. Those are other people struggle with life. But life is hard. Life isn't easy for everybody. We need to be marked by compassion. Absolutely convinced that God's word is true. But compassion for people who struggle with life as it is. See, the difference I see with sexual sin as opposed to any other sin is that the Bible describes sexual sin as a sin against your own body. Against the temple of God. Right? The residence of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's different. It's different. But I have to be compassionate. I have to love. We, as a church, have to love. Whatever. I can't even say it's wrong or right, really. Because all I have to do is say I love you. I love you. I'll sit with you. I'll sing with you. I'll pray with you. I'll do it all. I love you. I will always love you. Even if we disagree. No matter what, I will choose to love. Let me get off the football. <laughs> Verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked places at the honor of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Jesus, seeing how they came into this dinner, as came into this banquet, they had the head table, right? You've ever been to a wedding? What happens at the head table? They get the food first, don't they? <laughs> they get their food first. They get to drink first, they get the fancy plates and the knives, and they get, they get real forks and knives, not the plastic stuff that looks like forks and knives. They get the real stuff, right? They get treated different. They get extra attention at the head table, don't they? That's what was happening here. The, the big wigs were coming out in their showy robes, and they were taking the head table seat. Jesus, seeing this, he told them this parable. He said, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, completely humble, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, if you take the lowly place, so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, friend, come, move to a better seat. Come on up to the Bob Euchre, get away from this Bob Euchre section, you know, they used to say. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the others. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's going on here? Seated at the head table first. First to be served. The first to get extra attention. I mean, who else is more deserving than the, these Pharisee leaders, right? That's the whole point. Is that there wasn't anybody deserving to be sitting up there than the, those guys. Nobody deserved it more than them. Who was going to come? Nobody. They were the most influential people in the community. They didn't realize that the Son of God was sitting at the back 
no one more honored than them would have been there, and yet they didn't see Jesus. One time, years ago, I, I, remember, that, <clears throat> I remember I was at a conference or something, and I knew the person who was speaking. And not really, like, really knew them, but, but they knew who I was, and they, I knew them, they knew me, that kind of thing, and, and we talked several times. And so I'm sitting way back and at a table, and, and they, they get up to do their spiel, and they, they give me a little wave. They see me. I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, uh, no big deal. And we're friends. I, I'm kind of looking around. Yeah, we're friends. We're like that. <laughs> you know, not really making an issue. So, so then he starts to talk, and he starts to talk about me. And I'm like, cool <laughs> and and then he's going to invite me up so I'm sitting like so when he starts I'm like oh, yes. I'm like all laid back you know like ah whatever but when he starts talking about me you know, I get on the edge of the seat I'm like man I'm like, he's going to call me up there I'm like getting ready and about that time he said somebody else's name and the guy was sitting about three four tables in front of me he stood up and walked right up there and everybody clapped and I'm like Oh, you fool. You are such a fool. You were thinking it was all, you were, my pride was like going way up, right? It was the most humbling experience. Nobody else probably knew what was going on unless they saw me wave when he was waving at the guy up there, you know, unless that happened. Like it was humbling. It was humbling. Have you ever had anything like that experience? But, but our pride can cause us to go astray in ways that, oh, and when it comes, when it falls, it falls. Here's your quick test to see if to check your pride. I don't know if you can read all those, so I'll just I'll read them to you. You can answer these in your head. Do you long for a lot of attention? You become jealous or critical of people who succeed. Do you always have to win? Do you have a pattern of telling lies? Do you have a hard time acknowledging you were wrong? Do you have a lot of conflict with other people? Do you cut in line at the store, at the airport, on the freeway, on the highway? Do you cut in line? Do you get upset when people don't honor your achievements, when you're overlooked? Do you tend more towards an attitude of entitlement or thanksgiving? Do you honestly feel that you are basically a good person and therefore superior to those who are not? I, I doubt, I hope, <laughs> for our own sake, that none of us answered yes to all of those, right? But I'm sure that a one or two of them that probably you were like, oh, yeah, I do tend to do that. I do get irritated when I get it ignored or left out. Like one or two of them become our hot spot, right? Where pride seems to bubble up because it's in all of us. <laughs> it's in all of us. Even when we say, oh, no, I'm not prideful. Yeah, yes, you really are. I mean, we all are in one way or another. And all these are different facets of life where pride tends to kind of kind of come out. And we're like, oh, yeah, people do notice that. Yes, they do. That's the reality. Yes, people do notice that. It's better to humble yourself than to have others humble you. He goes on in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, 
don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If, they, if, if you do, they may invite you back so that you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, he says. Although they, can't, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to them, said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. He's right there, right? The, the, the beginning of that, this passage is, is the reality is that we're all, all are worthy of attention, right? But who so often gets overlooked? Who gets overlooked? The lame, the not, the, the blind, the sick, the crippled, the, the the outcasts of society. They're the ones that get overlooked. That's why they're outcasts of society, right? Jesus says, don't use your noticing of people. Just don't use it to leverage attention to yourself. Don't leverage relationships. Actually, if you're going to use your, your noticing of people, if you're going to use your attention for something, give it to people who never get it from anywhere else. But i got to be honest with you. Doesn't this sound like a very odd way to have a party? I mean going to have a party. Who are you going to invite? Family, friends, right? People people who like me, love me, I love them, I want to spend time with. All the, that's right. That's who we're going to do. That's who we're going to invite. I mean, seldom I, well, I've never done this. <laughs> I've never done what Jesus tells us to do. I, I think it'd be strange. It'd be odd. Why? Why, would this, why is it so crazy to think this way? I want to be surrounded by. Not thinking about if I invite you, I'm not thinking about you. <laughs> I mean, my wife thinks about you because she cleans up, but but I'm not thinking about you. <laughs> I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking, oh man, they'll be funny when they come over. Oh yeah, this will be great. I, and that's the reality. But oftentimes, we're, even when we're busy cleaning before they come over, it's, I want them to see that I have a clean house. It's about me. No, make it about the ones who have nothing to offer. The one who's, who's you're, you don't care what they think. Invite those people. That's the problem for this man. He has set himself up to be repaid. He's invited all the influential people in town. And now Jesus says, <laughs> what you're doing is wrong. You're not doing it the right way. And then his friend steps up. It says, blessed is everyone who eats the feast of the kingdom of God. Well, I guess he's right in, a, in one way, right? The problem is that he assumed that he was going to be invited to the table of the kingdom, of God's kingdom. And he's flat out assumed that, yep, I'm going to be there too. Because I'm worth it. God wouldn't want to miss out on having dinner with me. It's kind of his approach, right? And that's what Jesus confronts in this final section. This man justifying himself to Jesus. Self-justification is just one of the defense mechanisms that, that you and I have, that what you and I would use. Sometimes we project our problems onto other people, right? So we don't have to deal with our own stuff. We'll say, we'll, we'll see it in others, and we'll be really critical, hypercritical sometimes of other people and their issues, when actually my issue too, right? 
rejection is one of them. Repression when, or suppression when we just we just we just mentally focus like push our junk down so we never deal with it. Right? We just we ignore it. We ignore it. Then there's denial. So we actually we pretend we go we take ignoring it a little step further. We we pretend like it's not our problem. Right? We actually deny the issue. Another one is overcompensating. When you're when you know you're falling short in one area of life, you, you tend to excel in another one or really devote yourself to another one. Instead of the one that you're struggling in, you devote yourself to something else. Why? Because, well, at least I can say I'm a success over here. When over here I'm not, right? Compensation is another one. Rationalizing. That's one we're going to look at today is what Jesus I believe you can find all of these in the text today and, and more. But rationalizing is when we distort the facts to make things more acceptable, right? Rationalizing in the form of making excuses. In order to in order to not do something that we ought to do or to do something that we ought not to do. We make excuses. We rationalize. Jesus did it. Verse 16. He calls him out for it. He tells him in this parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he would send his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come. <clears throat> Sorry. Come, for everything is now ready. <clears throat> but they all began to make excuses. The first said, I've just brought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Excuse me. You'll have to excuse me. The third one said, I just got married. We can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out and quickly into the streets and alleys and towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Invite everybody. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still no room. He went out, he brings all these people in that he can, and he says, I got them all, but there's still room. And the master told the servant, go out to the roads, the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Go out and get the foreigners, the people who are leaving town, call them back and invite them into my, part, into my celebration. I tell you, not one of those who were invited originally will get a taste of salvation. See, the, the, the guest had sent out a save the date, right? He told, he told everybody that the party's going to be coming and I want you to come and it'll be, it'll be around this time and blah, 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 right? Save the date. Get in the mail all the time. Maybe. But that's what he's done here. That's what God did in scripture. He said, Jesus is coming, right? Save the date. But when the time came, all these folks made excuses in order to justify their decision justify themselves not to attend after all. I mean, when that save the date went out, nobody said, I can't, sorry. Now they all have legitimate concerns. Things that are more important than the party. I often wonder how many of our earthly concerns are really just excuses that we use to let ourselves give priority to what we really want over God and his kingdom. Their excuses in the story in the parable Jesus told were pretty lame. I mean, who's going to buy a farm without going to see it first? Nobody, right? Nobody's going to do that. Who's going to buy five set of oxen without ever trying them out? Nobody. Right? That's the point. No one's going to do that. Who's going to say, oh, we just got married. We can't do anything. No, nobody's going to do that. Right? That's, that's a ridiculous excuse. 
even if they would be like, okay, okay, they're, they're significant moments in life, and yes, they require attention, but, but not like that, right? No one changes their life to that degree over those three things. But they all made excuses in order to protect who? They thought they were protecting the host. I mean, they didn't want to say <laughs> what it came down to. They didn't really say that. They didn't really want to say that. I just don't want to go. <laughs> Change your mind. I, I don't really like you. Like, they didn't want to say that. They didn't, I don't want to spend three hours with you. I'm okay. I'm good. Like, they didn't want to do that. So they made an excuse. They thought they were doing it for the benefit, for the host's benefit, but actually they were doing it for themselves to save face. They didn't think the host could handle the truth. For years, I've had good, good reasons for not having a, a, a regular quiet time with the Lord. When I say regular, I mean accountable quiet time with the Lord. Reading the Bible and prayer. I, I remember many times I would even pray, Lord, I am so busy. Please help me to, to reschedule things, to realign my life so that I can have this time with you. Help me to simplify schedule so I can put you first. I've even prayed that. And one day recently I came across uh, something that really struck me hard. made me think that when a, if you were to call me and say, hey, Pastor, let's grab a bite. I would say, and I've said to many of you, I eat all the time. Just let me know when and I'll be glad to get together and eat. I, I've told you that, haven't I, John A? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I got to think enough sleep most every night. I find time for the things that are important to me and a whole bunch of things that aren't that important to me. The reality is that this quiet time that I struggle, I was struggling with, it just wasn't that important to me. And in my prayer, it was though Jesus himself had said to me, I can handle that. I can handle the truth. Can you handle it, he said. Asking me, can I handle the truth? And I had to admit to God in my prayer that I was pretty uncomfortable. He said, no, I don't like the fact that it doesn't, it's not that important to me. Here's a question for you. Do you believe that God is big enough to handle your lack of love for him when you fail to show love to God? Do you think he's big enough to handle that? If not, you have to make some excuses. He's not big enough to handle it. You have to make some excuses. The kingdom of God is a banquet. It's a banquet that some people have found so dull that they'd rather spend their time with business matters, with property deals, with family concerns. Do we dare tell God that, frankly, God, serving you, gathering with your people, is dull? I just don't like it. I believe that God can handle the truth. <laughs> Contrary to what Gene Hackman, I think it was, said this. Martin Luther once said that sin does not hurt us as much as our own righteousness. Sin doesn't hurt us as much as our own righteousness. Excuses are an attempt to be righteous, to be innocent before God. But God's gift to us in Jesus, his work on the cross, is not, our, is not innocence but responsible guilt. Jesus was responsible for our guilt. 
I can be responsibly guilty and confess my failure. I can be forgiven. You can be as well. When you're responsibly guilty, there's a chance to move on. But you have to be responsible. To live without excuses is to accept your humanity. Accept who you are. Your failability. Which is what real humility is all about. I can confess my failures. You can confess your failure. Because in Christ, we can have security of being loved and being forgiven by the one ultimate person in this world. I'd like to pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We ask you, Lord, as we gather here in your presence to share in this holy meal bless our gathering. We bless our sharing, our receiving of your grace.